Hello and welcome to the Lifefulness Podcast. Uh, I am your host, Sanderson Jones. You'll meet the co-host James very soon. And Lifefulness is all about adapting the sort of techniques of spiritual communities and congregations in a way everyone can take part. You know how like mindfulness, that was originally Buddhist meditation, and then people were like, well, what if we did this in a way everyone can do it? And then yoga used to be Hindu yoga, and then people said, what if we could do this in a way that everyone can do it? And lifefulness looks at the spiritual community and says, you know, why can't uh, we do all these things in a way that everyone can be in the room at the same time? Uh, Maybe that's clarified it for you. Maybe it's confused you. Either way, uh, it's lovely to have you here. And we have got a a guest who couldn't be more timely because the holiday season is upon us. Christmas is around the corner, if that's what you celebrate. And with it is an opportunity to drink at any, I mean, literally any time of the day. That's why we wanted to interview the wonderful Laura Willoughby, and she's one of the UK's foremost sensible drinking campaigners. She's got a better way of describing it. Uh, She's the founder of Club Soda, a community and campaigning group that helps people drink more mindfully. And she's really helped pioneer this attitude of reducing uh, or cutting out drink. And uh, she wanted to cut back her drinking and she found this way worked better for her. Uh, she, You can go and hear her story. She was like elected into politics really young, got recognized by the queen at an early age for her community work, but behind the scenes, life was boozier than she could admit. So really pleased to uh, bring her to you. Uh, and we always like to do three takeaways. Uh, One of the things which I learned from this was this idea of having a Christmas strategy, like what do you want from the holiday season? Like what is it that you want to get out of it? And then really actually go and, you know, try to make that happen. I love that. Uh, Then this second idea, which was like, if you don't have to stay if you don't want to stay you know often we might feel that we've just got to be around the whole time getting on each other's people's toes and nerves so that's a really powerful idea for really any uh, social situation and also this one is a super practical like she really got me excited about low alcohol drinks there's uh it was already something i was a bit switched on to uh but uh yeah i'm gonna go and dig around in that a bit more so uh Yeah, we're going to have the interview right now just to let you know that obviously we talk about community on this and we are also a community. So if you want to get more involved, go to lifefulness.io forward slash membership. We've also got our courses, got a course starting in January. So uh, that's it. Here is the wonderful Laura Willoughby. You have to edit that bit. Okay, great. It's always quite fun starting with a little uh, bit of a off mic before it records, but we will we will edit that. Uh, <laughs> oh, I know what we can start when you say you'll have to edit that bit. And now we're in the podcast. It's all mysterious. What were we talking about before? Uh, <laughs> but uh, I was one of the people talking. Hello, this is Sanderson, and I'm here with my co-host James. Hello, everyone. Uh, and then we have an awesome guest today, Laura Willoughby, the founder of uh, Club Soda. And what is your uh, one of the UK's largest uh, 
uh, low alcohol, mindful drinking, less alcohol. Uh, you've not got it snappy there, have you, at all, Sanderson? Shall I, shall I take Yeah, yeah, you do, the, you do the one that, <laughs> you do the best way. We're the UK's mindful drinking movement. We help people um, uh, change their drinking to live well, which means we also know an awful lot about low and no alcohol, but also a great deal about behaviour change and changing your drinking habits. And one of the reasons we particularly wanted to speak to you, other than the fact that we've been on a community accelerator where we've been uh, sort of learning how to grow our communities, and I wanted to speak to you anyway, but the reason that we're speaking now is that we are in the festive season, it's the holidays, there's going to be booze flying around, and we would love to have a conversation about what are some strategies for people to drink less, drink more mindfully, get hammered, but in a present way. Well, well all of those, no, maybe not the last one. No, uh, I think uh, that's definitely incongruent. You can't make that. No, <laughs> get absolutely battered, but absolutely. make a donation to a charity. Uh, and <laughs> the, but the first question we ask is, uh, because of the Life on This podcast, we're all about reimagining the spiritual community, the congregation, in a way that's secular and evidence-based, to ask uh, what was the religious, philosophical, or spiritual background to your childhood? Well, um, interesting. Like uh, lots of people, I went to a, a church primary school, and from a very early age, I therefore realized I didn't believe in God. That was quite um, big for me. And, and actually, I've been through a really uh, funny experience. So God, not for me, absolutely. I've not really been very interested in that, but, but politics I have been. And there are, of course, lots of crossovers if you believe in a political philosophy. Um, there are lots of values by which you live your life. And I, so I'm a Liberal Democrat by background. I've been elected, so that's not a secret. Uh, but underneath all of that, I think my politics has come from my nan, who is a very strong Catholic, but who, it was all, a, her life was all about kindness. And that's how I want to live my life, which is about kindness. So actually her religion didn't trump her, her desire to be kind to people and to call out where she felt things were unjust. And so whilst I don't hold a religion myself, it's certainly her religion that um, helped influence some of that. And then um, it, it may interest you to know that um, as a representative, I led the Equalities Board for local government nationally when I was at quite a young age, which meant I ended up on the government's uh, religious advisory group as the only what? religious person. How old? Uh, I was in my, I would have been in my late 20s. Wow, um, that is but I ended up, I, I ended up there as the only non, you know, the only non-religious person. So I had to stand up for the whole of, of uh, non-religious Britain to say that, you know, if, if the churches get a special ear of the government, then I think the gays should have it too. And that, wow. that, that was actually quite a persuasive argument, apparently. So anyway, and so I was also one of the people responsible for drawing up the civil partnership legislation and all of that sort of stuff. So... Um, so yes, I've had, an, and I chaired Faith Forum in Islington, so I've had this really weird relationship with Faith, and, but um, more latterly, and I even worked for YMCA England, so it's very bizarre, but I've come to this uh, revelation that it doesn't matter what you believe if you find people who share your mission, um, and they do that in a, an open and generous way as you do then certainly you, you shouldn't not work with religious organisations if you don't believe 
in religion and equally there are other ways to find a path towards the things that matter to you um, and they're important to you and the values you live your life by which are really important that was a very rambly answer wasn't it it was <laughs> a great really answer odd segue i'm so impressed what yeah be like now a previous life <laughs> that is and what is lost on the audio listeners is that there there was clearly at some stage in your upbringing a quiff slash uh sort of backcombing class which you absolutely nailed because <laughs> that is a johnny bravo-esque wave which you are surfing this, this hairstyle gives me great joy for some people may um uh, particularly women may understand that it was when i finally got my hair cut i felt like myself all that time trying to feel like i was a feminine girl with a bob um, made me miserable. I can tell you, change, having my hair cut changed my life. And what's even more exciting about it is because I don't, I don't have to have back combing. I've got curly hair. It sits up naturally. And I know when it's been a good cut, because basically lots of middle-aged men come up to me and go, oh, how did you get your hair like that? And I go, well, genetics, basically. No! <laughs> There's I'm, no hope for the rest of us. I've got thin no. hair, which always reminds me of the line in The Mighty Boosh when he tells... Your hair, it's so thin, it's like brown smoke. Uh, and, I see uh, it, it makes up for, for decades and centuries of patriarchy. Does that help? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're even, maybe? No, <laughs> maybe probably not. not. Maybe not. Uh, and so the, here, before we get into the uh, meat of the conversation around uh, how to drink more healthily, we've got six questions that we always ask people, and it is both their big questions, but it's also a speed round. So I'm going to ask you now, uh, what is uh, and they're about the six different parts of lifefulness what is your ultimate meaning in life what's the thing that you find sacred uh i think i find sacred the idea around um uh, helping people be who they want to be so it's not my job to tell people what to do but i have skills which can help them get there and i think that drives me more than anything else nailing it where this is the speediest of the speed rounds over to you james Number two. So the next one is celebration. So how and what do you celebrate in your life? Well, it's got a lot easier since I've given up drinking because when I was drinking, it involved just getting pissed all the time and then not remembering what it was that I was celebrating the night before. Uh, <laughs> so now actually it's, it's being with people. For a long time when I was drinking, I thought I was, I was losing being a people person. And I realized that wasn't what was happening at all. Alcohol was hiding that. And what I love most is meeting new people. That's great. And then uh, in spiritual communities, obviously a big part is community. So uh, where do you find your community life? Uh, well, there's a lot of it in Club Soda because we look after a whole community of people. Um, and I, so there's a, there's a lot of that for me. But if I, if I was to characterize my Facebook, so this is where it was very interesting. There's a mixture of friends who are from Club Soda. They're a Liberal Democrat. There are people who are in the Marmorati, which is a very important community to me because we've sworn not to ever cavort with the Marmalade. And now people who own and live in vans, which is my new quest. So it's a really odd mix. Oh gosh, if only this wasn't a speed round, we could find more about the Marmorati. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure we're gonna get into more of hashtag van life because if someone's into it, they'll tell you about it. Uh, next not one, James. is desperate to live in a van. Uh, <laughs> There's so much there we could dig into, but it is a speed round. So religions often have a pathway to growth as a person. How do you find personal growth? 
I find it through friends and people that I meet. So um, I'd love to, I, I, for many years, bought lots and lots of self-help books and then continue to not read them. It's not, <laughs> it's not the way that I learn. It's not the thing. And when I finally accepted that my learning style was different and it involved being with and speaking to people, that's when things changed for me. Wonderful. That's Thank great. you. And serving others is obviously another core component of congregational life. And so where do you find the opportunity to serve others? I've actually been doing it all my life. Uh, shall I tell you something you might not know, Sanderson, which is... Uh, <laughs> not, not much of that flying about, but you can give it a go. <laughs> which is, I got an MBE when I was 30 for, for community services to the community. In what? <laughs> and that's Who is this woman? I have been involved in community activity and engagement since I was 14. I was secretary of my community association. I, I was on the, the committee of the Child Festival of Women in Music when I was 16. It's what I've always done. It's what I've always been drawn to. And it's what drew me to want to be on local government and on a council. I got elected when I was 23. And then what draws me to building communities now in different ways using technology. So, so community is is the thing that has 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 been the thread and probably is a core value for me uh Jean Vanier, the incredible community builder said it is easier for us to connect through our weaknesses than our strengths and i certainly agree with him right now because the more i hear how impressive you are the more distant i feel from you but i think we're going to push on through it <laughs> I, I wouldn't i wouldn't i wouldn't say that at all Sanderson. there's so much we all have in common <laughs> Last one over to you, James. The final one is our translation of evangelism. It's changing the world. Now, it sounds like you do a lot of that, but how do you think about the impact you have on the wider world? Um, it's an interesting one, because I'm not sure if you find the same, but you can be very passionate about what you do and put yourself out front and forward. And then suddenly you have a panic attack about why, why it's you doing this and are you being a bit big headed and, um, and surely there are other people who should be doing this and, and you need to be bringing others on because actually I, I believe a key important part of leadership is about how you bring on other people. And, and, then I, and then I get panicky about it. So I'm not sure if you guys feel that. And then I read stories about really arrogant people who do put themselves up there and I go, oh no, I do need to go up there. Otherwise those people are the people that get um, <laughs> seen and heard and they're talking bollocks. So, um, so I'm not sure about you, it's, it's a really, evangelicalism I find is a really sort of double-edged sword which is I, I know that people follow people and want and want to engage with people in order to 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 have things to follow but it feels really weird being in that position and I don't particularly like it uh, that is uh, I uh, empathize on a number of levels one when you're like mate you tweet all day and so much of it is garbage uh, but you're still doing <laughs> yeah. it and then it just works. And then the other part is that James, I'll quite regularly ring up James, James and just be like, James, I just can't, like, I don't, oh God, I don't know if I should tweet this or tweet that. Blah, blah, blah. And then he just says, just go and put them up. They're fine. You know, just go and do it. And I just really get in my own head about it for a whole raft of reasons. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm, sure if, because the world of social media is such that you don't always know who's reading your things. You can often... Um, know that you're in your own bubble getting on with work and you've said the same thing millions of times and you've heard it millions of times but of course the world outside for many people that's still new but the things that touch me the most are when people that I'm friends with 
quite, you know, um, secondary on social media, like people that I've known mm. through, distantly through Facebook uh, for a long time, suddenly contact me and go, oh, I had a media request. I've put them on to you because you do this sort of thing. Or could I just introduce you to somebody? And what's happened is they've been, they've been watching me all along, keeping an eye out. And then the minute they see something that they think would be useful for Club Soda, they make that connection for me. And, and that actually, that means, means so much to me, but it also means that for me, it's a validation that we're doing mm. the right things in the right way. Because people, when they have an opportunity, want to help. And I, I find that very touching and, and lovely. That is oh, lovely. Well, look, that was great. And you're so far the absolute best at the speed round. Uh, and this... for you, eh? <laughs> I think you might be about to cut me off on the media, so I better do it really, 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 really quickly. The, uh, and this gets to the, like, one of the reasons why it's so, such a good moment speaking to you. Christmas is booze filled. And should I tell you what? I quite like it. But I also do spend some time during it thinking, well, I could probably probably have a, a bit less so what is what are some advice that you give out about how to drink more mindfully over the holiday season well I think there's an interesting thing to to allow yourself the opportunity to take a step back and reflect because uh, we're in a society basically we're in a society that's always trying to get you drunk if you really think about it and we don't often question it and so we don't often question our own drinking habits. And so we don't often sit back and go, well, actually, guess what? This isn't compulsory, getting completely plastered or going out for an evening and it always having to end in being, it being drunk isn't compulsory. There are other ways to live your life. Is this what I want? And in Club Soda, we don't ever tell people that they have to give up drinking. Everybody's journey is different and everybody's goal is different. And the, the starting point for us is to get people to sit and reflect about the the, the, the life they want to lead and then where alcohol fits into that because for mm. a lot of people particularly if you're drinking too much like I was I was, I was brilliant at it like I'm surprised <laughs> I got the MBE for services to the community because I could have easily got it for services to the pub um, <laughs> you know for me it was beginning to really affect my life it was beginning to I had all these amazing opportunities that I talked to you about and I fucked a load of them up um, because of drinking and so for me the reason why I was able to change was I was able to go hang on a minute if that's not the life I want to lead I want to lead a better life and alcohol's not serving me anymore now I'm not saying that that's what you should do in the lead up to Christmas but certainly after this year which has been a bit of a shitstorm, let's be honest you may want to sit and reflect and say okay this has been a really difficult year whether we like it or not our our mental health has been challenged in all sorts of weird and small ways um and uh connection with people has been very difficult so I've got an opportunity where there may be a week off holiday uh, on holiday from work I think to to do something with this time what what is this Christmas that I want to have this year and then think about where alcohol fits into it because normally you just get carried away with the flow of what Christmas is and you're bombarded by adverts telling you that the only way to celebrate Christmas is to be drunk which is of course also rubbish and you, it's perfectly socially acceptable to start drinking alcohol at breakfast um, from probably now till January the 2nd, if not slightly beyond that. But you don't have to do that if you don't want to. If you decide that there are days where you just want to focus on particular friends and particular family and begin to think about things that you want to do. And that might be about having a really lovely long conversation on the phone or even by WhatsApp with um with friends that you've not connected with this year those people that you've thought of in your back of your mind oh you must call to see how they are during 
lockdown and have not got to. So begin to focus around the type of Christmas you want. And then you might decide, well, actually, I only want to drink on, on these days with these people. And if I'm going to drink, I'm going to save it for this drink, which is my favorite drink, which I really like, rather than, you know, all those incidental drinks that I happen to have. And I mean, that's our, our sort of mantra for the for change your drinking overall, which is, you know, sit and reflect about when, where, who and what you drink and begin to make a decision about where, you know, where that could go for you in the future in order to help you lead the life that you want. And it may be that you make a decision not to drink during the week or save drinking for certain days or for certain drinks or not drink with certain people because you know that when you do, you always get a bit bladdered. Um, and, and you can begin to make some small and subtle changes and work out how they go for you. Um, but, uh, and this Christmas, it's really interesting when I gave up, I realized that I had based most of my Christmas traditions around things that enabled me to drink more. Oh, I must always go to the German market because I like get pissed on blue vine or, oh, I must always decorate the Christmas tree with a really nice bottle of brandy. They were all, they weren't about the actual act of that I was doing with the people I was doing them with. They were all about getting drunk. Um, now, you know, my Christmas is actually more about connecting with the people I want to connect with and actually mostly ignoring the rest of Christmas. I, I get great joy out of not spending loads of money. Mm. The, uh, by the way, when you said the word bladdered, I was just thinking that our American listeners would be uh, delighted at the introduction of a... a... <laughs> A new British. Uh, uh, I, I can bring British... lots more. I can bring lots more words in for drunk throughout this whole. Oh, okay, so yes, yeah, so that's very really impressive. Just, just go and hit some. Like, and then you can do uh, uh, an explanation in the blog. No, that's good. So we've got <laughs> leathered, hammered, shit-faced. What are some other leathered, ones? Wankered. I particularly like. I, I, before I go onto the BBC and talk about this stuff, I always go smashed, not wankered. Smashed, not wankered. <laughs> I have to make sure I don't say that. I said By the way, like if there was a sort of club soda for like just pre-club soda when you want to cut down only a little bit, it could be called Smash Not Wanker. It's like, all right, guys, you're not gonna, but let's not go crazy. Hey. <laughs> uh, only up to the eight pints and no more than four tequila shots. Yeah. Uh, the and what I realised there is that uh, I hadn't yet gone and asked you to tell like and you alluded to it there, like your own, how you ended up going from uh, sort of a political hotshot uh, and drunkard MBE winner uh, to uh, going into sort of starting Club Soda and why you felt that you needed to go and sort of actually, you know, begin something anew. Yeah, I mean, um, I was always a big drinker. I'm my father's daughter. I inherited his, his boobs and his drinking habits. That's that's the great gift you gave me. Um, and oh, almost made me spit it. out a lot of water <laughs> over a microphone and a computer. I was doing that. He's just invested in this new technology. <laughs> yeah. just, uh, just a couple of drops came out of my nose there. And I just uh, pictured your father's boobs because that is not a Me Too thought crime. But, um, I think my work here is now done. <laughs> podcast now. 
Hey there, how great is Laura? I thought uh, you thought we'd have a bit of a break from her just in case it became too like, oh God, Laura's so great. Uh, and just wanted to, just a bit of a reminder that we have got our Lifefulness 101 course, which starts in January, on January the 13th. And it's a 12-week collective learning journey. And it is all about trying to help you find really meaningful goals and create an amazing support team uh, around you to help you make them happen. So go and check that out. Uh, there are early bird tickets until the start of January. And uh, as ever, you can go to uh, become a member of our community at lifefulness.io forward slash membership. Go and apply to join there into the small groups. And that's it. Back to the wonderful Laura. So I've, I've always been a big drinker. I don't have children. I never had that reason, um, even in my 30s, to go home early and be sensible. Um, I used to feel it was my job to keep all of the London theatres going by getting drunk before, during and after the production in the theatre bar. Um, and um, and uh, unsurprisingly, I mean, most people talk about their their jobs being quite boozy. And of course, politics is no different. It's, you know, a career fueled by cheap white wine. And uh, I ended up, and I mean, this will um, resonate with a lot of people who listen to this, this podcast, because of course, this is all about living the life that you want to lead. And I ended up in a job I wasn't enjoying. So somebody who's always been very much defined by the work I do in the community, I ended up in a job I hated and was embarrassed to tell people that I was doing because it, it meant nothing to me. And actually, um, I, no one cared if I turned up, which sounds joyous, but actually it's terrible for me. I, I, no, I need you. I need to be needed. Yeah, yes. And, um, and so my drinking went up and I knew all the people I could call up to go for a boozy lunch with. And it didn't matter if I was hungover in the morning. And I really lost my spark for getting things done. And as a result, my drinking went up and up. I didn't drink every day, but I got to the point where I couldn't stop once I started, which is familiar to lots of people. It means I've been drinking too much, too quickly, too often. And for years, I knew that was a problem. Um, and I knew that I was going down the same path as my dad. And my dad died at the age of 56 from alcohol. And um, so I knew I had to give up. So I do that thing that everybody does when you know you have to give up, which is you drink all of the booze in the world. <laughs> from you immediately um, I now do the same with cake because I know I have to go on a diet again so um, so you know that 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 escalated my drinking and then I I made a decision that I, I had to do something about it and it was that realization I told you about that um, I could have as many self-help books about changing drinking on my shelves as, as you like um, I wasn't going to read them all and in fact most of them were covered in red wine which sort of defeated the object totally. <laughs> so I I decided to go on a one-day course that one day course made me so angry that I gave up drinking because it was unethical because there were dependent drinkers in the room and they were telling people to go away without any support and just stop drinking immediately. Um, not sure if you know, but um, giving up alcohol suddenly if you're physically dependent could kill you. It's more dangerous than detoxing from Whoa. heroin. And I was so, so angry. And, you know, like you probably, anger's a big motivator for me. So I came away and I was like, okay, this, this isn't right. These people shouldn't be allowed to do this. There has to be something better. In the meantime, I managed to not continue drinking, which was amazing, but I managed to get um, great delight out of having more energy 
and um, having conversations with people where I could keep eye contact for more than two minutes. Um, all those micro interactions that really fuel my day, you know, with people on the tube and stuff. I am that person that talks on the tube, began to really lighten my mood and I got very excited about not drinking. And so after I got that initial stage out of the way and gave up my um, mainlining sugar, which generally happens after you've given up drinking, it's like it's all about the Haribo. Um, <laughs> you, I, um, I decided. I mean, it I wanted... is all about the Haribo. What's yeah, your favourite? Get... What's wrong with that? What, yeah, what's your yeah, favourite yeah. type of Haribo? Uh, I don't, all of them, mainly all in my mouth. Um, yeah. But basically, your sugar cravings go up if you give okay. up drinking. Okay. So. I decided that I wanted to look at doing something about it. And I felt that why is it that there are communities and online tools and things around dieting, like Slimming World and Weight Watchers, why is there not anything similar around changing your drinking? Why does it all have to be binary, which is that you have to identify as an alcoholic, which is an identity, it's not a medical condition, or you, you use the council services, which are available only during daytime hours because they're based and focused on people who are chaotic drinkers, when actually most of us sit in the very important bracket, and this is the people that we're aimed at, we're aimed at everyone who's a bit of a dickhead with booze. Mm. Um, and, <laughs> that's uh, a medical category. yeah 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 definitely that's in dsm5 care. isn't it yeah yeah absolutely so <laughs> Who's um, why, isn't, why isn't there something aimed at those people and that's where club soda came from which is why community is a really key part of what we do i believe community helps change behavior and if you think about it alcohol is such a big part of our social life that you know why why can you get pissed together why do you have to get sober alone you know mm. so um, I wanted to create that that sense of a community where people could learn from each other, realize the sky doesn't fall in if you do change your drinking and that socializing is still possible and you don't have to go around with a big alcoholic label on you if that doesn't suit you. I mean, I don't use that word for myself. But I'm alcohol free um, and a dickhead, um, obviously. <laughs> and, um, and to create that space, which can also be about moderation or just taking a break or just exploring your drinking. After all, it's not... I don't ever want to tell anyone what to do. So I'm happy to welcome anybody wherever they think they are in changing their drinking. This is amazing. There's so much that I would love to dig into about what you've said. I really appreciate you lifting up that many of the models that many group based responses to drinking use right now are not actually very effective or Re related at all to the evidence we have about behavior change like this idea that you or, or they're very much rooted in some very old you know they were fine 70 years ago but life has changed and um then there's no one size fits all so i fully appreciate that things like aa work for some people but it would never have worked for me because of the um the the religious bent to it but also the fact that i think it's quite sexist as well i know that there'll be people that dispute that and um and it doesn't suit me i don't want to give myself up to a higher power um because i you know i'm a woman we've been told for generations that mm. we <laughs> that we are not we are we don't have power i'm not about to give that up for anybody and also that we are um that we are powerless in the face of alcohol and i'm not powerless i i choose the life that i have over alcohol now and that's very different so um so that's why that model wouldn't work for me i appreciate it does work for other people because actually behavior change is really hard and nearly all behavior change 
uh, platforms, even the dieting ones, have a really low success rate. But what happens is, is we all dip in multiple times. And each time we dip in, we learn more. We improve our self-efficacy. We learn things that, that take us to the next time, the next time, and the next time. So, you know, I've learned things from changing my drinking that I can now apply to losing weight and all of those things. Um, so, you know, it, it is difficult and it's a very hard science, but it's also a bit like, you know, self-improvement. It's a lifetime journey. It's not something that happens instantly. There's something about your approach that seems to me from the kind of vibe that I'm getting from this conversation is not judgmental about drinking or about how people choose to live their lives. And I feel that that's very important. I, I live and work in the United States. I've been here for many years now. And there's still quite a lot of judgmentalism about drinking, even though it's a very alcohol-based culture. And there's a kind of tension in that. But I think that, that reducing the judginess about drinking might actually help people be more mindful about how they drink. Yeah, and I mean, there's some great discussions to have about language. So alcoholic in America is a protected status. Actually, if you go to university and you've been an alcoholic, there are safe spaces for you by law. Um, so that's really interesting. And all the Americans don't understand why we don't like that word in the UK. And we're like, don't choose that word. So it's even more judgmental here, I think. But that's because the only way to change your drinking before were that you would have to sit in a dusty church hall and stand up and say, I'm so-and-so, I'm an alcoholic. That's not, that's not actually the key to behavior change, you know, for most people. And so, um, so we need to be, we, we need to unpick some of that um, because our culture has um, that one model as, as its basis and it frightens a lot of people off. The other reason why uh, we um, work very hard on not being judgmental is, you know, we come back to the questions you asked me at the beginning, which is, you know, what, what are the values that drive you? Well, I am a, a liberal through and through. I, it's not my job to judge people for who they are, their experiences they've been through, what they choose to do with their life, how they've got where they are and where they want to go to. What I can do is empower people to make those decisions for themselves. And, and that's quite important to me. And then finally, actually, you know, I believe in um, I've got some very strong views about all sorts of drugs. So I'm also, we're also not anti-alcohol because it would be ridiculous to have a different view about alcohol than I might have about other drugs. And so, you know, I accept that the alcohol has a place in society um, and it always will. And it's probably more dangerous to prohibit it anyway. But in the meantime, we need to be able to model other behaviors so people know that it's not necessary, that you don't need to deal with your social anxiety by drinking. You can deal with it by learning other skills that mean that, that, that we can suddenly move. Do you not think it's weird that as a society, we've one of the most beautiful things we can do in this world is to meet new people. And we've reduced it to something we feel we can only do when we're half cut. Um, and half cut, another one, probably yeah, for so American we need listeners. To, we, love need it. To we need to reclaim these great yeah. things in our lives as things that are possible to do without drinking. And what that I love that right into uh, the next question and james loves your answer as did i uh, I, do. The, uh, I love you guys oh thanks mate uh the um, and aside, as we said gr growth is a lifelong journey and i realized that i had grown as a person when james said judgmentalism and i didn't instantly jump in and uh laugh at that word which can't be a word can it james 
Oh, it totally of, is a word. There's a lot of judgment. Judgment? Surely there's just judgment, no, mate. No, but now oh. you've done it, Sanderson, by, by saying you didn't immediately. I know, but I'm not it. yet that mature. I just didn't do it in the moment. But anyway, Sanderson, who cares if it's a real word? Did he get his meaning? Well, he, should I, tell you, should I tell you who cares? He does. I would care. <laughs> I'm literally Googling <laughs> it right now. I would care if he put it down in Scrabble and it wasn't a word. Exactly. So that sort of uh, doesn't lead us on to the next question, which was connected to what you were saying. And uh, we, we touched on this when we were before the call and we're sort of like out sketching the outlines of where we're, uh, what we're going to talk about. And it really wanted to speak about like some of the, like looking at our use of alcohol socially, our use of alcohol in our relationships, in our families, in our own personal lives is actually what functions is alcohol performing or allowing us to perform. And we had a sort of, we had a bit of a uh, discussion, disagreement, or because uh, I was thinking that actually, in a way, alcohol at Christmas probably allows you to be around people who you want to, your family, like you just be, oh, I'll have, just have a drink and I'll be able to get on with it. And then suddenly they're, uh, I think Christmas. Sandra, are you saying you can only be around your family if you're drunk? Oh, and I tell them. Have you met uh, my family? <laughs> Seriously. The, uh, and so, but like, there's a, a thing which it can do, which it, and that might be, it maybe makes us more comfortable, but then it also, in this case, you're like, well, if I was just, if we're just going to hang out totally sober, like, stuff would come up or it would be a bit harder to deal with or you know there would be unresolved tensions which we don't have the we haven't had the sort of uh skills to go and deal with or like having these conversations sounds a bit too much or if we go and think about uh, you know i think that there's a really in our society we are really bad at creating the non-rational uh spaces where you're able to slightly lose your mind as we're in a totally rational society where you're always on and booze like it's it's self-medicating it's not the he most healthy way to do that go and do five rhythms so yeah what are some of the functions which uh alcohol it, it enables people to do but which could have healthier ways of doing them i mean um booze does um hit your dopamine receptors which is you know, all those pleasure centers in your brain. And the, um, in fact, you also might find that you feel less stressed um, just as you get the bottle out of the fridge, let alone if you've drunk it, you probably feel less stressed um, just by getting it out of the fridge. And so it can help um, de-stress you really quickly. But I think uh, the thing to say, and, and, you know, we can, even I can still point to some amazing times I've had when I've completely pissed. It would never have happened if I hadn't have let my inhibitions um, reduce but it's worth um, saying that the amount of alcohol you need to make some of those things happen without it tipping over to something scary is actually quite little um, and actually to keep on the healthy side um, so that's that bit of the J curve that um, means that um, you're you're basically microdosing a healthy amount of alcohol you're talking about half a pint of beer a day quite frankly what's the point of that eh so um <laughs> So, you know, it's, it's, it's not, I'm, not, I'm not even bothering, you know. <laughs> so people drinking in the upper quartile, which means they're drinking probably a bottle of wine every other night, which is quite a lot. And the impact on you of drinking is, is cumulative. So it's not just the hangover you get. And, you know, we talk about a three-day come down from doing E at the weekend. Well, actually, it's very similar for alcohol. You'll find that you're if you get drunk on the Saturday, you'll be really a lot lower on the, on the Monday. So it's not just about the hangover. 
alcohol completely, like all other drugs, rewires your brain. Um, and you know, it took three years for me to, it was three year mark before I realized that that unwiring had all begun to change when I didn't through an emotional state, think about alcohol as my first thought. Um, so we have learned through, through socialization and through drinking alcohol, that it's, it, it's great, that it's something that we use to deal with every emotion, uh, <laughs> to deal with every problem we've got we're taught that we should you know drown our sorrows but to be happier we should also drink and it's really interesting for me i would say the biggest thing that's happened for me from not drinking is i've learned to deal with my emotions and there's a view that your emotional development stops um or slows down from the minute you start drinking alcohol and that's definitely true for me I started at 14 and I have not dealt with a single emotion since the age of 14 without drinking. It meant that I never dealt with them. I stuffed them all away and then they all come out to play since um, giving up drinking. And I call it like a hundred little epiphanies um, giving up drinking for me. So um, I, that means I've also lost track of your question. But By the way, you got so, there in the end because yeah, that's the thing I, where it, I wasn't sort of talking about how great booze is, the function it performs, no, but actually I, that but thing we, of... But we should be honest that, yeah. you know, alcohol has given us some great nights out. It can make us feel certain ways. But if you're using it to deal with stress, it will only make your stress worse over the longer term. If you're using it to deal with anxiety, you're not dealing with your anxiety. You're just putting it off to another day. Um, and in the meantime, there isn't a bit of your body that alcohol doesn't impact on, including your eyesight and your ears and all of your mm. internal organs. And, and, you know, it can take a year for your metabolism to get back in shape after and um, working properly after you've given up drinking, um, sleep, lots of people, you know, there, there isn't anything. I mean, you could write down everything about your body and basically alcohol um, affects all of it. So, and, and it's cumulative. So it doesn't mm. matter if you... Um, my dad always used to say, oh, I don't have hangovers. I was like, yeah, but it doesn't mean it's still not doing you any harm just because you, you think you can jump up out of bed at 7am yeah. in the morning and still function as an adult, um, which is also debatable, by the way. But anyway, so, um, so it just puts off the problems for another day. And it also does some really, I think, upsetting things. Like I've realised, and it's probably one of the, the silliest things that I say, but everyone goes, oh, when I say it, which is that we've also been taught to drink, to stay at things that we're not enjoying. And Christmas is a good example mm. of that, because we drink to stay at Christmas parties that we're not enjoying, or to spend longer amounts of time with family rather than a, a short amount of time that might be better spent rather than a long time getting, you know, wasted. Um, and um, we drink to stay at things we're not enjoying, which means we enjoy them less and less and less. And then we spend the next two days out of action because we've got a hangover from drinking to stay at something we didn't even want to be at. Go home, people. Go to bed. Watch a box set. Eat popcorn in the bed. Whatever it takes. But you don't need to stay at something you're enjoying, and you definitely don't need to drink to do that. And I think that's the one where, which we spoke about earlier, where often it is, it's like, I think people think I really want to be around my family and this is should like they've got that drive where they want to be connected or they want to go and stay somewhere but that second point you made about how we're not we've got so much unprocessed stuff going on we've got so many uh emotional cul-de-sacs anxieties insecurities that 
you know, just having another drink, like enables you to go and push those. I think and then is... when lots of people are together that don't want to be together and they're all drunk, it, that's why you will end up in fights. So, I mean, there's some real interesting tips that you can have for this Christmas season. The first mm. is, is that if you're spending time with family and if you're really lucky enough to do that right now, because obviously that's not easy all round. Um, why not try and put some boundaries around it and say, like, we're coming for this amount of time. What we would like to do is play a game or do something particular. See if you can you can change the tradition from just sitting around and drinking to do something a bit more mm. active so people are more likely to drink less. Um, and see if you can introduce some new traditions to your family and, and do that. If you're spending all the time with the family because you're staying with them, ah, oh, go, go, go off and go, this Christmas day, guys, I've decided I'm going to go and have an afternoon nap and take yourself away and create some time and space for yourself. Ultimately, if they're still drinking, no one will notice anyway. I've, I've learned mm. that. I was like, oh, I thought I had to be here and people would think I was gone. They didn't notice I wasn't here. As I cry and sob quietly into my pillow. <laughs> Um, the other is it takes some alcohol-free drinks. The world of alcohol-free drinks has changed amazingly, and there are some great alcohol-free beers, wines, and spirits out there. Take them along. Most pe most people do not even notice what you're drinking in your glass. Um, so just pour your own. You know, top it up with tonic, stick the lemon in. People won't be any of you wiser if you don't want to have a conversation about it. But if you do have a conversation about it, do take extra. Because I can tell you, everyone will want to try your alcohol for mm. drink. Everyone's really interested right now. Um, and, you know, treat, it's another really important thing. Treat yourself with consent. Nobody else can tell you what to do with your life and your body. So you make the decisions. And if you don't want to drink, then don't drink. If you want to go home, um, because you're bored or because you don't want to be around everyone fighting, go home. If you want to go for a nap, go for a nap. Treat yourself with consent. You are in charge. Nobody else has that responsibility over you. Um, and take that power this Christmas. I love when you said treat yourself with consent on the Zoom, uh, both James and I have tilted our heads to the side and we're like, ooh, new sort of idea in the sort of community and personal development space. We, uh, yeah, very much like this. Treat yourself with consent. Uh, James, do you have, I feel I've uh, uh, fired too many questions at Laura and it's getting a bit one-sided. Uh, well, over to you, right. Crofty. I'm used to it. The, uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm just, I'm loving listening to what you're saying because there's, there's so much stuff that's, that actually sounds very simple like you get to decide how much you drink, how long you stay, but things that I think we frequently forget. And so having a reminder mm. of those is amazing. I actually want to hear a little more, and I know this is maybe a small thing, but for me, it's a big deal because of my own personal history with drinking, which is I didn't drink at all till I was 34. I just decided when I was a teenager once that I wasn't going to drink and that was going to be my thing. When I was 16, <laughs> my friends were starting to drink. I was going to be a rebel and not drink. And my parents were like, yeah, okay. Well, uh, um, oh no, James, don't do that. <laughs> and I was, I'm You're going off in. the rails, mate. And I didn't drink at all, except occasionally to amuse my friends with the faces I would make. Um, until I was 34 and I went on vacation and they had these really nice cocktails. And I was like, well... I'll try one. I've never, it seems like fun. Hurricane looks fun. And I, I liked it. And so I started occasionally. And one of the things that I find enjoyable now is that it adds another sensory experience to my life that I wasn't having more. Cocktails can be very complex aesthetically. They're really fun, right? And I find that there's a gap. It, before, I was like, what do I do? Have a, have a Coke? 
well that people are having these beautiful things of sprigs of of herbs and little twists of of lemon and i'm like i've got a freaking coke but you're saying that there's more than that now oh absolutely and in fact the uk is the biggest growth market for low and no alcohol drinks so you can get non-alcoholic um some amazing alcohol-free cocktails mm. Um, don't ever use the word mocktails, it's horrible. Um, you can get some great alcohol-free cocktails that, um, that don't look any different and are made with really amazing drinks and complex flavours. In fact, the work that the makers of alcohol-free drinks have to put in to make those drinks is just staggering because whether you like it or not, alcohol is a flavour enhancer and it makes any old shit taste good. Um, so, um, so to make a really good alcohol-free drink, an alcohol-free beer or spirit um, is... Um, it's really difficult and we do uh, is, is is a difficult thing and we do a lot of work trying to persuade the pubs and bars to stock all of these and we've actually been highly successful not on our own the fact that this is this is a growth market and i'll i'll tell you why um is because i stand up and do lots of talks about the fact that you know when i go to a venue I am, I want to be treated equally as a customer. My money is as good as anybody else's. And um, I don't want to be shoved a half a pint of Coke over, out of a hose, because uh, I'm not 12 and about to go away in the car park for my dad with a packet of crisps, am I? So, you know. <laughs> but that, you... that image is a lot sadder knowing your whole family yeah, history. Yeah. Oh God, it's, it's how <laughs> very bleak. Um, me and, and most other kids <laughs> in the seventies when parents could still drive home after a few beers. Um, so, um, so we, it's all about experience and treating people equally. And for me, if I really, you know, pair all of this back, I've been an equalities campaigner since I was, you know, 12, 13. And this is another equalities campaign. It says, you know, why should you have a second class um, service if you're out and about? You wouldn't go into a restaurant and, ex and, and uh, not expect a vegan and vegetarian option. Alcohol free is just another dietary preference. Surely the strength of the drink in your glass doesn't matter. It's about how much money you're going to spend behind the bar. And I spend as much money. I just tend to do it more on bar snacks and dessert. Um, so, you know, so that's really important. And, and pubs are rising to the challenge. You can now get kombucha on tap in the pubs in London. Um, you can get alcohol free. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I was a big cider drinker, so, you know, I'm from the West Country. But, you know, there's also really good alcohol-free beers. There are beers that have been winning awards against full-strength beers in blind taste tests. Um, and in the UK, we're the, the, the biggest market for that, which is fantastic. And there's a reason for that, which is that this shift is cross-generational. And younger people, so the under-25s, are drinking less, about... Uh, 25% of under 25s are not drinking alcohol. They will still go out and they will still go out to cocktail bars, but they will take a picture of the cocktail for their Instagram and then not drink it, for example. They do drink, they're drinking less in an evening, mainly because they're spending money on cocktails. I mean, you can't, it's five pints versus one cocktail, isn't it, in the price stakes? But they, get, they go for cocktails a bit like you um, because there's an experience. Um, there's something to look at, it's very visual, it looks great on Instagram. And in fact, wine drinking amongst under 25s is also really low because, you know, that's, that's my generation, so I'm 46. So I'm the Ladette generation. Now we're drinking less because we've realised that you can eat as much kale as you like, but you're undoing all the hard work if you're uh, smashing a bottle of wine in your face every night. So, um, so, you know, there's tons of people in my generation now going, oh, well, I don't want to drink as much. We want to cut down and all of that sort of stuff. 
17 million people in the UK who drink want to cut down their drinking. They think they drink too much. So this isn't a, about sobriety. This is about moderation. And for some people, that will mean total abstinence, like for me, although I always do have a boozy dessert. Um, uh, and for some people, it will be about moderating. But together, that's a sizable market. If you then add in all the people who don't drink for religious reasons, people who don't drink tonight because they're driving, the 700,000 women a year who are pregnant, the people who are going to the gym tomorrow, the people who are on a sugar-free diet, so don't want any of the other things, but will go for the alcohol-free drink, suddenly that's a massive market and it's cross-generational and there are lots of different motivations. And so it may be that you just decide that you're moderating and take a couple of nights off. Um, so the biggest purchasers of alcohol-free beer, for example, are people who also buy alcoholic beer. Mm. You're an I mean, amazing advocate. It, it, I'm totally convinced. <laughs> well, I mean, because there are some of the uh, low alcohol beers are really great. And it is for that thing where you like, it's so natural to go and put your hand. By the way, throughout this whole conversation, I am sort of going, f flitting from, yeah, yeah, I should really cut down more. And then it's like, yeah, yeah, reaching for a beer does feel really good. That's great. So I'm sort of like, I've got the devil and the angel you, you on both. You question, question it, question it all. I mean, oh, no, no, I am questioning it all. When, at the same time, raising the question makes me go, oh. highly socialised oh, around this stuff and you don't realise it. I mean, I was the queen. Oh, I realise. I'm, I'm well aware. Well. I was the queen of making jokes about drinking that I am embarrassed about now. I'm oh, so gosh. embarrassed. Even okay. when I turned up for the course on the day to change my drinking, I joked about where the mixer was for the water. You know, I just, yeah. it's terrible. I just, I, I hold my head in shame and realize the pressure I used to put people under. So, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, but what I was going to say, the uh, one of the, when actually hearing, I think hearing James talk about uh, booze is, you know, for a lot, like that's very unusual to hear someone who's gone the no booze to actually drinking and, but one of the questions I wanted to ask of like, what does healthy drinking look like? And it, I, to my mind, it sounds a bit more like, you know, realizing, like being fully aware of the effect it has because you've gone and been in those situations before when like in the UK, oh my gosh, every single social situation, part your first parties, your first, I, so, like everything is booze soaked. I know. And I, and I met someone that, uh, recently who said, um, oh, well, you know, my daughter's getting married soon. It wouldn't be a wedding without champagne. And I thought, well, it would. There's other would, important actually, things yeah. about a wedding. That's a yeah. bit of a sad thing to say <laughs> when you think about a it. a drink in a glass. Yes. Um, I remember I went on a date without booze when, because I, I give up booze uh, uh, every January and have done it for a while. And I remember the first time that I went on a date sober and I was just like, what? Like, there's something seems to be awry here because you're just like again a situation where you are so used to having yeah, a drink but give it six months it's a bit like when you break your leg and which i did when i was drunk obviously and uh you get the plaster cast taken off and then you're limping for a little while and then suddenly you're not limping anymore and you don't remember when that happened mm -hmm. that's a bit like um how yeah. you get in social situations so i felt terribly awkward and that i wasn't funny or witty and i and i must have been when i was drinking because i always remember being funny and witty and then it took a little <laughs> while and then apparently i am funny and witty <laughs> but i think that's you know, that's well, really <laughs> speaks to how it is a crutch for people because I would often have the experience that I would be out you know at a bar with friends or dancing with friends and they would offer me drinks and I would say I don't drink actually 
and they'd be like, ha ha, very funny. And I'd say, no, I actually don't drink at all. And they're like, but you were dancing. And <laughs> you, you're so funny. And you just went up and asked that person out. What, what are you talking about? You're not drunk right now? And I'm like, no, this is me sober. I do not need booze to be a hoe bag. But but that's, I think it's really weird. You can learn to do all these things that people think that they need alcohol for. You actually don't. And and then you get to remember your evening and you get to leave at a time that works for you and Mm. get to enjoy the following day. I did not know that weekends were so long. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you know, so it's all of that sort of stuff. And and all I would there say- There are is, downsides let, though. Uh, well, you know, let me just put it this way. It's not going to do you any harm to take a three month break from alcohol, is it? So yeah. if you want to know what it feels like, give it a whirl. And if, but if in any way that you're unhappy with your drinking, then take a break and see what it feels like. Personally, I think you need more than a month because um, it takes a while. Um, you don't have to drink very much for you to have- some some elements of withdrawal but also when you're giving up something it's a bit difficult anyway your brain's like go on you deserve mm. it la, la, la. And you need to get that little voice away and also just... um yeah so so three months is a charm in my view but it's it's um you know it it, it doesn't do any harm to try not drinking yeah and that's one of the things i found actually even the, so I think I was maybe 24 or 25 the first time I did like gave up booze and I did feel as though I learned a new skill of being around people and being able to do things which I previously had thought impossible and so I'll yeah there'll be uh, varying times through the year or whatever it might be where I just go and make that decision to do it and you do go and realize how socialized you are and how and, and uh, yeah i think it, it goes and gives you I, a bit more se- a, bit, a greater sense of control I have over to say it. that i i have always been a pain in the ass but i am so much more an effective pain in the ass sober it's, <laughs> it's, it's 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 amazing and you asked me about what um healthy drinking looks like and in reality it is um you know in medical terms you it's not very much alcohol it's a healthy amount of alcohol basically you should look at your um the first drink should be labeled medicine and then every drink after it should be labeled poison because that's how your body processes it we can we can only process small amounts of alcohol because we create it in our stomach as part of the fermentation process you've got about two units of alcohol in your stomach every day we're not designed to um apparently who knew um to drink two bottles of wine in the evening and so your body's basically processing it as a poison so if you were to think about a healthy relationship with alcohol then you'd have to call it microdosing basically um and if anyone's ever used you know bark's rescue remedy which is basically quite strong because it's some flower essence in alcohol you're basically microdosing alcohol to deal with anxiety or whatever the problem is and and that for me that was interesting because um realizing that sort of stuff it's a it, the healthy amount of alcohol a small amount of alcohol but i would say that that's still all very individual and if you're finding that um you that it's affecting you in any way that might be, for example, if you're on mental health medication, alcohol doesn't really play very well with it. So, you know, you might want to try cutting out the alcohol and see if that improves the effectiveness of your, your medication. Um, it can be different for everybody. You might not even be drinking that much, but it can still impact on some of those things. So it's, it's worth, you know, you're, you're the scientist and the subject in this little yeah. journey and it's worth trying it all out. One thing you, so you mentioned earlier that there were, uh, 
you know, uh, drugs and how, you know, the idea that more of them should be, I imagine your strong opinions on drugs should, that they should be uh, more legalized and, you know, people should be able to use them. You mentioned ecstasy there, but I guess that's the sort of thing which I think about. One of the questions I had was, uh, in the same way that no one is suggesting that you take ecstasy every day. So did you read that Guardian story about the guy who's taken the, who took the most ecstasy in the world? And over the course of his life, he took 30,000 tablets. And apparently, he's not in great shape. So Shut that's up. sad, but also remarkable. Uh, and uh, yeah, and then sort of like, and, is a marvelous thing. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, so there's some people who take acid every day in that sort of micro dosing way. And there's people who go and think, okay, that's giving me a new lens on life. But then there is also, there's a ritual way or a way to use it, which could be mind expanding, therapeutic, call it what you will, uh, of, you know, taking a lot more than a micro dose. They don't call it macro dosing. They generally call it getting high. Uh, but then do you ever think about what, like if some, there's someone who's totally sober, they don't have an issue with it. Like what would be a healthy, like using alcohol in a sort of mind expanding way, using alcohol in a way which sort of plays to its strengths, like those, you know, monkeys I'm, eating I mean, like I fermented fruit off the trees. This might just be a question. Or, or the drunk squirrel on Have I Got News for You last week, which is quite a new thing. Um, I don't know. I think probably out of all of the drugs, alcohol is one that probably doesn't give as much, um, uh, much of a high as other things. And I don't know enough about the science. But I do know that it's quite natural for humans want to change and alter their state. And I would lie if I don't miss that occasionally. Um, but I would miss this life more, which is, which is you know, important to me. Um, I have thought more about alcohol um, over lockdown than I have in the previous two years, but not to a point, for me, it's a thought, not a command. Um, so that's important too. Um, and I don't, and if you want to get into the whole debate about public health policy and drugs, then there's, I mean, there's a whole set of things to go with it which is, you know, around decriminalization and what you put around it and how you tax it and how you regulate it. And then regulation gets very exciting because really the organizations that are best set up to um, deal with distribution and the regulatory framework that you would put in place are currently the tobacco sector and the alcohol sector, which aren't necessarily the nicest big corporates that you would want. It's not all gonna be the local, local hemp farmer, right? So, then it brings up other wonderful ethical dilemmas around um, big business and all of that sort of stuff. And if you were to speak to people in charge of the European Drugs Forum, they would tell you that the, the discussions around legalization of cannabis across Europe, um, the, you know, it will be the big tobacco companies that step in and, and take over that particular market because they're the best place to do it. So, you know, um, it's complex and and because it's so complex, it becomes one of those issues that we never get an answer to, a bit like the criminal system as well. So, um, so, uh, but the system that we have doesn't work either. So uh, something needs to be done. And I, so I can't tell you whether you should go and microdose alcohol or any other drugs, but I do know that you, that in any of these things that you need to, to work out what's right for you and that you need to be in control and you need to understand the consequences. And I think more and more, the reason why people are changing their drinking is we're beginning to understand the consequences of alcohol. 
um, health is high up people's agenda. And so they don't just stop and look at, you know, um, the calories they need to eat in order to lose weight. You realize that there's 750 calories in a bottle of wine and that's two meals. Then, then suddenly it changes your perspective on, on, on nutrients and calories. And that next to water, the healthiest thing you can drink in the pub is an alcohol-free beer because it's sugar-free and 66 calories a bottle. Boom, job done. So you can begin to make choices that are right for you. Uh, but we do need, whatever happens, a sector that's better resourced to help people deal with those problems. And actually, public funding is woefully inadequate. And that's because the government is um, uh, uh, can't deal with, you know, the health economics around alcohol. And they haven't done that work. And they push it between departments. And then, then we can get into another debate. How did this get so serious? The, uh, well, should I tell you what? We will save that up for another podcast. Uh, and uh, that's a, my polite way of saying that we're going to wrap this up I'm here. Laura, what? you can edit that bit out. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> thanks so much. Uh, where, how can people get involved in Club Soda? And what is, if anyone's heard, if anyone's heard this and thought, you know what, no matter what, like, I'd like to just be a bit more aware of what I'm drinking, what's a good place for them to go? So if you go to joinclubsoda.com, you can sign up to our courses, you can sign up free to our emails, read all of our blogs, listen to our podcast. Um, if you go to clubsodaguide.com, because your interest is in exploring new alcohol-free drinks, and when we do our festival, you know, there's tons of foodies there, all sorts of people, then you can go there and find drinks and the pubs that serve them when they're allowed to be open again. And yeah, connect with us on at Join Club Soda on social media as well. Um, we're open for everybody. Do you, you've clearly talked about this, but maybe you haven't. Uh, do you have a service where people subscribe and they get sent like an array of different non-alcoholic drinks every month? Uh, no, but we do work with Wise Bartender who does that. Who does that? Okay. Yeah, so oh, wow. wisebartender.co.uk, who is awesome. And he does mix boxes and he'll even send you one single bottle if you want to try an obscure German alcohol-free beer. And um, which is great because um, the last thing I want to do is to lug boxes drinks around because I'm really heavy. Um, mm. So there's another person who does that. And that's where I would recommend you go. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much, uh, Laura Dubbs. Uh, you have been great. Uh, thanks so much for listening, everyone. It is goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me as I look at these amazing non-alcoholic drinks on the website. I'm just in heaven right now. Hello, gang. Uh, thanks so much for listening to the end. Uh, I know lots of people drop off after the guests. So, oh, yeah, well done. Uh, you're getting a bit more. And uh, at the end, I always talk a bit about the what's going on in the life on this project, what's going on in our community and actually as... Uh, an organization because yeah uh, this little startup of both one but then lots of uh, me but then sort of lots of folk around and in the community and uh, yeah it's got to the end of the year and man what a year it has been so I got accepted onto this Facebook community accelerator and Thank goodness I did, because it gave us some funding, which otherwise I'd have been really, really stuffed with all the live work disappearing. And it was just, yeah, we had to get to the end of it. We had to go and do a pitch to show what we'd done. And it was just a really, it was really cool to go and look back on the year. And particularly uh, because I've got ADHD, it means that often in the moment, like oh, just keeping track of loads of things, I'm often sort of, 
feel as I'm under the pump as like, have, have I done that? Have I done that? Like planning is hard. Uh, and so, yeah, it was good to look back and be like, oh gosh, yeah, like this podcast, we've now got uh, over a thousand listeners a week, which is great. It's like almost in the top 20% of podcasts. So, I mean, yeah, that's all like, that's the weird thing in this stuff, you know, you've got Joe Rogan at one end and, but like, really it means so much to James and I and then people are listening to the podcast and then like going and applying to be part of the small groups and that was you know it's been oh my gosh uh it's taken so long to try to like figure out the right way to spread the idea of lifefulness and the right way to sort of you know the one time you're trying to like talk about this idea which you know can be really impactful but it can be quite like it's a big idea it's basically can we it's like grandiose almost imperial idea like can we reimagine the congregation in a way that everyone can do it like what where do you start and uh it's so many different things to do and it's quite like looked and investigated so much different stuff and then in the end to be like podcast and small groups sometimes feels a bit like you, you took like I've been researching so you took like a year and a half to like come up with that it's really like the first one you get to but the uh yeah so it just like it feels feels good to look back on it and uh yeah and then in the community we wrapped up our small groups uh this when was it? Uh, yeah, no, it was last week. And uh, yeah, everyone's have spoke about, you know, like what they got from it. I'm, oh God, did I talk about this last time? Well, you know, if I did, I'm talking about it again. Uh, yeah, and so, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's exciting. So yeah, thanks so much for listening to this. As ever, the podcast is great, but like we're, we're in this to go and uh, build community. So uh, please do get in touch. Uh, then we have, what do I do at the end? Yeah, credits. Yeah, just want to say thanks so much to James Croft. He puts in so much time to this and at the same time as being like an amazing leader in his community. Thanks so much to, yeah, huge shout out to Mavs. Uh, Mavs, man, so sorry to uh, uh, hear about your mum, but I'm glad that she's getting better. Uh, and then uh, thanks to Will Andrews for the artwork and thanks very much to Roman Rapak and Miro Shot who made the music that you're listening to right now. <laughs>